This is the assistant pastor of Greenfield Baptist Church for his morning message from Isaiah chapter 6. We'll be in Isaiah chapter 6 today. Now, as you turn there, there is this picture at my doctor's office growing up, and there's kind of an interesting picture. If you first looked at it, it didn't really seem like much, but it was in the waiting room, and so you would sit there and you'd wait, and if you stared long enough at it and concentrated on it, eventually the picture would start to come forth from, from the different colors, it's what would appear to be scribbles and colors, and you start to see the image come forth. And there's a nice little image there with it. An eagle with an American flag in the background and Statue of Liberty there. And, and I thought, well, you know, this is one of those passages where the more we, the more I look into it, the more I study it and, and, and look into it and dive into the Word of God, the more and more there is to see there. But we'll see, beginning of verse 1, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. As we look at this passage, I want us to know first off, as he's seen the Lord, it wasn't just any time that he saw the Lord. The Bible makes very specific mention of the timing, the year that King Uzziah died. Now, King Uzziah, he was, a, he was a good king. The Bible tells us that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of his life. Well, and that was until his heart was lifted up with pride. And then he went into the temple and tried to perform the, um, the sacrifice and burn incense to the Lord. And God had to give him leprosy and a priest would chase him out there. And so he would travel from house to house because of his leprosy, because of the Jewish law. This timing, though, it was a sorrowful time because the time the nation of Israel had just lost a good king. But also, you see that it was also a time of uncertainty because when his when he died, then his king, his son came. In Second Chronicles, the Bible tells us in chapter twenty six, it says, "So Uzziah slept with his fathers." I was buried with his fathers in the field of the burial, which belonged to the kings, for they said, He's a leopard. And Jotham, his son, reigned in his stead. Jotham was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Jehutha, the daughter of Zadok. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah did. Howbeit, he entered not into the temple of the Lord, and the people did yet corruptly. Here we see that Uzziah, his son Jotham, comes to the throne, and there are some changes. Whereas Uzziah would go and he would burn incense and he would he would worship when he before he became a leper, he would go to the temple and he would he would have the priest do sacrifices and he worshiped the Lord. Here we see his son says, you know, we're not going to do that. This is a time of uncertainty there. There's a time of, of sorrow and uncertainty, but it's also a time of change. Here you have this godly king, and then it says, yet the people did still corruptly. The people, boy, while the king was doing what's right, and the king was worshiping God, 
the people want. It was a time of uncertainty, a time of sorrow, a time of pain. The timing, the year that the king Uzziah died. See, but we also see, though it's not the emphasis, it's just the time that the king Uzziah died, he sees the person of the Lord. He says, I saw also the Lord sitting upon his throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. He saw the Lord sitting on his throne there in the temple. We see that the position of the Lord, he was sitting on his throne, but he was high and lifted up. Isaiah 57, 15 says, Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high, in the high and holy place with him also that is a contrite and humble spirit. Revive the spirit of the humble, and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Here we see that the Lord, he's sitting in his throne, and yet he is high, and he's lifted up. The Bible says it's a high and it's a holy place. See that the, his position is high and it is holy. In verse, in Psalms 46, excuse me, 45, it says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Scepter of thy kingdom is the right scepter. Yes, the scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Here, says thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. In Revelation chapter 4, we see, we read about a multitude of the elders and angels around the throne and the four beasts there worshiping the around the throne of God. You see the God, he's in his throne. His throne is high and lifted up to the holy place. And his train filled the temple. There is a temple of the Lord that's there in heaven. His train, the glory of it, of it filled the temple. We see also his person. We also see the praises. Those who were praising him. They said, Said, and above it stood the seraphim, each one having six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. Here we see these angels, these seraphims, these angels <coughs> of six wings, and the glory of God was so great that they would hide their feet and hide their, their eyes. This was a sign of worship and a sign of reverence. But it goes on to say what they said. He said, and one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth was full of his glory. We see those who are praising him. In Psalm 24, it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. Everything is the Lord's and God, and everything praises the Lord. They all give glory and praise unto God. In Psalm 19, verse 1, the Bible tells the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Here they're declaring the glory of God. These angels, which are in heaven, will glorify in God. I mentioned in Revelation, those gathered around the throne of God in Revelation 4 8, it says, The four beasts, each of them had six wings about him, and they were full of eyes. And they rested not 
day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. It's very likely that these beasts that were mentioned could be seraphim. They had six wings, and other than the fact that they say, Holy, 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 is the Lord God of hosts here in Isaiah 6. There's not much said about them, and then that they have two wings to fly and two wings to cover their face and two wings to cover their feet. And they cried one to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Here they, in Revelation chapter 4, they're there when they're saying this day and night without rest, praising and glorifying God. The Bible tells us in 2 Kings, uh, 1 Kings 22, 19, it says, And he said, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I saw heaven, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. Here this is the time when Ahab's there. He calls for all his false prophets and Perhaps that's as well as they're not a prophet of the Lord here, that we may inquire of the Lord. And if, yeah, but I don't really like him. He always says bad stuff about me. We'll call him anyways. He comes and through the discourse there, and he, he starts to tell them, you know, at first he says, oh yeah, you can, you can go and you can, you'll be successful. You know, and, the, and even the ungodly king, Ahab, says, you know what, I told you, if you're going to tell me something, it better be the word of the Lord. So he says, okay. And then he goes in to, to, to this right here as we read in 1 Kings 22, 19. It says, hear therefore the word of the Lord. And he says, he sees the Lord sitting on his throne, just as we saw in Isaiah 6. And all the hosts of heaven standing by on the right hand and on the left. Here we we'll, see the seraphim standing above it. It's certainly... There in Revelation chapter 4, we see the, the elders and the, all the angels there, the great multitude, standing there and praising God. So he's right in line with the scene. And here Isaiah is translated here where he can see these things. And, and the, he sees all the glory of God. He sees the very the Lord and those praising him. And when he sees the Lord and his holiness and how great God is, then he looks and he recognizes his own position. And he begins to sorrow over sin. Right there in verse 5 it says, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Here, as I saw this, I, I couldn't help but think, here he's, he wasn't a, an awful person. He wasn't he, someone you would recognize, oh, that person's a sinner. You might say, oh, that person's, you know, like a, a bad Pharisee who, who, oh, they look good outwardly, but inwardly, God tells us they're full of dead men's bones and, and all kinds of wickedness and but this was in Isaiah. But when he recognized his position to the perfect standard that God holds, he said, I am undone. 
that he is he is finished. He says, I'm undone, I'm a man of unclean lips. In, in First Chronicles chapter four, the Bible tells of a man named Babes. And he said, and he prays to God and he says, says, and Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldst bless me and be, and enlarge my coast, that thine hand might be with me, that thou wouldst keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. Here in his prayer, he was praying, Dear Lord, keep me from the sin, keep me from the wicked way, that it would not grieve me. You see, there's the grief and the sorrow over sin. Even Isaiah, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. He was mourning and grieving over the sin that he had committed. In James chapter 1, the Bible tells us that sin, when it is bring, finished, brings forth death. It brings unhappiness. It doesn't bring life. It doesn't bring joy. Here, Isaiah recognizes his position and the sin that he's in and the sin that he has. And he says... <laughs> You see, he is cause for the sorrow when he compares himself to the Lord and the holiness of the Lord. And I want you to notice here when he said, woe is me. Just there in chapter 5 of Isaiah, he gives six different woes. Woes to different people. In Isaiah 5, 8, he says, he gives a cry of woe to those who are merciless because they would build their houses so close and build, keep their fields so close that there would be no room for the poor in the land. And they want to drive the needy from before them. They don't want to be helping their fellow man. In verse 11 of Isaiah chapter 5, Woe unto them that rise up early, that they may follow strong grief, that they can and that continue until night, to wine and flame them, and the harp and the vial and the tablet your pipe and the wine in your feast, but they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of his hands. He says, Woe unto those who just do they just forget God and they don't pay any attention and they go after their own desires and their own lusts. Verse 18 of chapter 5 says, Woe to those the wicked doers. He says, Woe to them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin. As it were with a cult rope. Here he says, Woe to those who are doing wickedly, the wicked doer. And verse 20, a few verses down, says, Woe unto them that call evil good, the good evil. Woe to those who are perverse, who can't discern good and evil, and will purposely call good evil and evil good. Here he says, What the next verse is, Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent. In their own sight. Woe unto those who are prideful. Now you know I know so much. The Bible tells us in First Corinthians chapter 13 that knowledge is going to puff up. That knowledge causes us to be prideful if we allow it. So here we see these men that are prideful that, boy, we are so wise. We know so much. And they're so prideful. Bible says, woe unto them. There in verse 22, right after that, he says, Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine, men of strength to mingle strong drinks. Here, men that are, are drunken, men that can consume wine, 
But then in chapter 6, after he says, first chapter 5, woe to all these people, all these people that would say, yes, that's a sinner. Yes, they should repent. Yes, they should be doing, they should turn from that wickedness. But when he sees the Lord, and he sees Christ, God, high lifted up, he says, woe is me. When we see the Lord, we're going to be saying, woe is me. Woe is me. Because we see the kingdom, the Lord of lords. The Bible tells us there later on in Isaiah, in, verse six, in chapter 64, it says, but all, we are all un, as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness as filthy rags, and we all do fade away as a leaf in our iniquities, like the wind which has taken us away. Everything that we can do, everything that we can muster, that we can strive to do, the Bible says, if that's what we're counting on, to be compared to and accepted before God, it's an unclean thing. It's filthy rags. It's of no use. It's unclean. It's undesirable. That's why here, Isaiah stands there and says, Woe is me, for I am undone. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We see the repentance and the sorrow over sin. But then we see in verse 6, is then through one seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it on my mouth, and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Here we see the cure for the sin. We see the reviving that comes from the Lord when we sorrow and repent. But then we see that we get released from our sin when Christ comes and takes away that sin. In Hebrews chapter 9, the Bible tells us in verse 14, it says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Isaiah, he had a hot coal from off the altar. But we have something far greater than that. We have the very blood of Jesus Christ which cleanses us and washes us and makes us whole. Continuing there in Hebrews chapter 9, the Bible also tells us in verse 28, it says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Christ was offered to bear our sins, to bear the sins of many. Here I say, boy, you know, if Isaiah said, Woe with me, and then was cleansed with his coal from off the altar. When we repent and we return to God, He washes away our sin. Couldn't help but think of 
how much more wonderful it is and how much more eternal and lasting it is to have the blood of Christ to purge our sin. We see that he was revived from the from the, the curse. He was revived from the Lord there. The Bible tells us in first John chapter one, the Bible tells us in verse seven, he says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sins. Verse 9, 1 John 1, 9, a very familiar verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's his desire for us to be cleansed. <laughs> Many times it's so easy to go through this world and, boy, you know, just like Isaiah, you know, we're not like these wicked doers who are drawing these carts of sin or who are strong to drink wine or, or are prideful so much to say, oh, I know so much, I know more about the Bible, but it's so easy to let these things come and to cloud our hearts. But if we'll turn and we see the Lord, when we see him, I am lifted up. It would only be natural when we compare ourselves to look on ourselves out to see God in his fullness say, boy, you know, I'm, boy, I, you know, I didn't think maybe I was as bad as so-and-so, but when I compared myself to the Lord, I, I am nothing. I am, I am undone. I am, I'm unclean. It's so easy to go through a little and not focus on the Lord and these things creep in slowly. And then we wonder, boy, you know, I haven't maybe heard from the Lord as much as I wanted to. I haven't, I haven't had his presence as real as I once had. We see here in Isaiah chapter 6, right after he said, verse 7, at it ends, as thy iniquity is taken away and thy sin is purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, Hear my send me. When there's sin in our lives, it's going to be more difficult to hear the voice of the Lord. It wasn't until Isaiah had his sin purged and his iniquity taken away that he was able to hear the voice of the Lord saying, Who's going to go? Who will I send? Who's going to be my witness? The Bible tells us that we are his witnesses, that we are to be his, his ambassadors, the Bible tells us. In 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, it says, Now then are we ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ that be reconciled to God. We were his ambassadors. We were ambassadors for Christ. And I thought about that. I said, you know, when we send ambassadors to another country, we don't send someone who's 
who, who doesn't represent us well. We don't send the worst that America has to offer. No, we try to send the best. We want the best people to go forth and to represent our nation. We're not looking for someone who is lazy or someone who's disorganized. No, we want them to be a good example of this nation. But Christ wants us to be a good example of him. He doesn't want us to have our lives tainted with sin. He doesn't want our lives to be untruthful and, and unprofitable. He doesn't want us to be distracted by the things of this world. As we read in our scripture reading, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. The world passes away and lost their love, but whosoever doeth the will of God abideth forever. When we love this world and the things that are in this world, it's so easy to do. It's so easy to, hey, you know, that's a nice call. Oh, that's a nice poem. That's a nice whatever it is. A nice tool. It's so easy to love things in this world. But we ought to love God even more. So I was reading in my devotions this morning. To set your affection on things above and not on things below. But, you know, what is my affection? What things do I desire? Do I desire the Word of God? Do I desire to know more about Him, to be in prayer with Him? Or am I desiring the things of this world? Am I desiring entertainment and my desiring things. The question then comes to us. What are we desiring? Have we let some things come into our lives that when we see the Lord we're going to say, well with you. When we turn from our wickedness, turn from the sin, our smallness, insignificant as it may be in our own minds. When we turn from that, when we seek to see the Lord high and lifted up, then we'll hear the voice of the Lord, we'll hear Him speak to His through His Word. In just the smallest and minute ways that are like the sergeant's knife to say, yeah, got a little something there that needs to be taken care of. Come to you today and say, What is it that the Lord has spoken to you today? Can you go forth from this place and be clean and be purged and say, There is nothing between my soul and the Savior? And mean it from your heart that there is absolutely nothing that you desire more than the Word of God. There is nothing that we would hinder us, that would hinder us from seeing the Lord high and lifted up. As we read in Isaiah 57, in verse 17, He dwells in a high and lofty place with Him that is of a contrite spirit. In a contrite and humble spirit. 